Like, seriously, that took some chutzpah to say, yes, I'm going to make this movie and present it as a good thing. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Welcome to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and this is my co-host, Wendy. And we are here once again with our super special guest star, Noel. Hello. Hey, Noel. (laughs) (laughs) Noel of the soothing voice. That would be your um, Native American, your Aborigine name, Noel of the soothing voice. Or maybe that would, Mm. or your Life Day name on the Wookiee planet. Life Day name is good. time of year actually it wasn't it was on this day okay it is uh november 17th if i remember right it was this day that the star wars holiday special aired it, it's true because it was all over my facebook today yeah. it is life day happy life day everybody happy life day everybody happy life day. well <laughs> it'll this will go up a few weeks from now so it won't be life day anymore but it was life day and we're enjoying it in my yes. soothing voice, I should look up the lyrics to Princess Leia's song. Yes, yes, you should, and I will let you sing it. <laughs> Dude, I I saw that motherfucker when it aired on TV. I did. I was not alive at the time. I know. I am. I am older, and I was cognizant, and I watched it, and I don't remember being horrified because I was a small child who loved Star Wars, and I thought it was a grand idea. Oh, even when I saw it, when I was probably like nine or ten, I wasn't horrified either. And there's, there are parts of that that I genuinely enjoy. <laughs> there are things to enjoy about it. There really are. I adore the holiday special. I really do. All right. Uh, Melissa, what what are you drinking? You know what? I am sad right now. Well, I'm not sad, actually. This is I'm drinking it because this is what I wanted. I am drinking a refreshing Mendota Heights sparkling spring water. Ooh. It's fizzy, and it's not boozy, so, you know, it's a change of pace for me. Is it springy? It is springy, and it's it's cooling and refreshing and and fizzy, and it doesn't contain caffeine or other things that make me ill, so I I really like it. (laughs) I've had kind of a crazy day, and, you know, after cramming uh, dinner into myself and then racing to a podcast, um, I just kind of wanted a fizzy water. And I'm a big believer in fizzy water, honestly. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Fizzy tastes good. It does. I'm still confused, but that's okay. I'll go with it. It's okay. Um, It's okay. I'll probably drink later. Noel, what are you drinking? Uh, Just some strawberry kiwi juice. Good choice. I I found... I'm not entirely sure about my life choices on this one. (laughs) I found at Target... I believe I've mentioned before that you can buy wine at Target in Texas. Um, I found a Barefoot, which, as we know, is a quality <laughs> discount brand. <laughs> <laughs> I found Barefoot Refresh 
crisp red. Oh my. And it says, enjoy over ice. That's my need to excuse myself to go get ice. So I'm going to be trying this out. It's got a lovely screw chop. Listen. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm going to be trying this out and I'll be reporting back throughout our podcast. Excellent. Look, look, I look, look forward look, to look, this. Look. Ooh, it's carbonated. <laughs> I've oh got my fizzy, God. too. You, you've got wine soda pop. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and it, now, is it soda pop in that area of the country, or is it Coke? Or I is have it no, soda? I, I have no idea. I haven't paid attention to how other people order it. And nobody in Austin is from Texas. Oh, so that's it, true. So it kind of doesn't count. <laughs> Dear listeners, in my area of the country, it is pop, which I hate. Therefore, I say soda. I I learned to say soda deliberately because all the other all the other choices were stupid. I agree. See, and I yeah. always grew up with it as soda pop. That I mm, soda yeah. pop I can I can deal with. Just pop though. Eh. Unless you're talking about Andy Warhol, I don't I don't go for just pop. Or Rice Krispies. Or perhaps Journey. <laughs> We just kind of went all over the map there. So anyway, what are we... Yeah, I always call Rice Krispies Snap Crackle. <laughs> oh, God. No. Snap. It's a happy sound. Snap is the happiest sound I've found. Yes, I do actually know that whole song. <laughs> so we should probably talk about what we're actually going to talk about. Melissa, what is our topic for this evening? Our topic, our topic, dear listeners, is Nicolas Cage! Yes. Oh my God! Out of the cage. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we started right out the gate with that one. <laughs> oh my God! He may be. No, I no no may about it. He is one of my favorite living actors. Excellent. I just I fucking love to watch that man on film. He's having such a good time. How can you not have a good time with him? Uh, yes. Here, here's a question. Yeah. Who is Nicolas Cage? Oh, how hmm. deep of you, Noel. <laughs> hmm. He is prolific. You know, by the time we finish editing this podcast, he will probably come out with four more movies <laughs> yes. to watch. OMG, yes. He, um, he <laughs> is the American inheritor of my cocaine. My cocaine. Of my cocaine's mm -hmm. legacy. Mm -hmm. See, now, mm -hmm. if Adam West and Carl Reiner had a child. Um, maybe. maybe. Maybe, maybe. I love that he chose the last name Cage for his screen name because um, you can make all kinds of jokes about him being uncaged and letting him out of the cage. Oh, it was because of a comic book. He loved yeah, Luke Cage. but it's <laughs> Yeah, because he's a nerd. He's perfect. It's and it should perfect. be mentioned, he is a Coppola. He is a Coppola. He, he is a nephew of Francis Ford Coppola, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I feel like. Everybody should know that, but maybe you don't. And so, hey, now you've learned something. So everybody drink because you've been educated. Yes. Yeah. So hooray for Nicolas Cage. But um, I should I should back up and say the reason that we picked Nicolas Cage is because I have been every other week showing at my house Nicolas Cage movies for over a year. Yeah. <laughs> and we finally and got through... Most of them. Yeah, few... I was going to say, it was most, not even all. Yeah, there were... a, we needed a break. <laughs> yeah, we needed a break. <laughs> there, there were so That's many Nicholas Cage. Cage. And he kept releasing them. It's like, it, it, it was like running on a treadmill. We could never catch up. Um, 
But yeah, there there were a few that we skipped just because we'd watch them during other nights, like uh, Bringing Out the Dead. We watched during Scorsese night mm-hmm. or Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans was Herzog night. But anyway, um, and there were a few we just plain skipped because we couldn't find them. Or, yeah, we had planned you know. to, but then they suddenly weren't screaming. Yeah, and so there were there were like a scattered five or six that we, we skipped over. But so that's you still, still have my DVD of Cotton Club. I do, because I want to watch it. But, uh, but anyway, we watched the vast yes. majority Which is of Nicolas Cage movies. It's a vast majority. How many films, Melissa? Um, It, it was over a year's worth. Um, and it's very long. It do- it doesn't fit on one email page, so yeah, well, we watch over a, a lot year, of them. Every other two two films a night for every other week would be fifty two films minimum. Yeah, something like that. It it was a pretty pretty big project. Uh, fuck yeah! And we saw the highs. We saw the lows. Oh yeah. my god! So many it was probably about forty <laughs> movies. Even when it, right. even when he's low, he's high. Mm-hmm. Also, I should point out right now, listeners, if you hadn't figured it out, yes, Nicolas Cage is in my wheelhouse of attractive men because he is all leg. He is. There's so yes. much leg on that man. Uh, there's a shot in Con Air. I remember seeing it in the in the theater, in the movie theater, where he does like a roundhouse kick or some sort of sidekick. At any rate, on the big screen, and his legs spread like all the way across the screen as he kicked mm-hmm. out horizontally, and I just kind of went sploosh. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> The mullet, not so much. Yeah, but, um, that, he he sports an amazing array of haircuts throughout his movies. You know, from that kind of skeezy long hair thing that he had going during Con Air and Drive Angry to um, there's at least one pompadour in there. There's there's <laughs> uh, it, just a little there's bit of everything, Charlie man. Charlie Kaufman hair. Charlie Kaufman oh, hair. Oh my, my god, god. yes. <laughs> Oh my god, yes. Okay, the, so let's get Jufro. to it. <laughs> Listeners, what we have done, we cannot cover the whole catalog, obviously. No. So each of us have picked five films that we want to uh, touch upon, and we will rotate through them. So who's going to start us out? Wendy, you should start. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with uh, City of Angels. Oh, oh, Which we excellent. did not watch as part of the movie night. Yes, that, that um, was one that we actually couldn't track down for some reason. Well, I have it, I have it on DVD. Well, there uh, we go. Um, I have not seen the film it is based on, which Neither is uh, Wings of Desire. I keep meaning to, but, you Wings know. of Desire is an extraordinary movie. Yeah, I keep hearing that, and I, and I, of course, all the movie geeks are like, oh my god, you should totally watch Wings of Desire, it's so much better. But here's the thing, I loved, I loved City of Angels when I saw it. It was, it's so moody, it's, it capture. it's so, it's almost a tone poem. Um, yeah, it's romantic, mm. but it's uh, contemplative in a way that you don't often get in Hollywood films. I mean, okay, so for those of you who don't know, Nicolas Cage plays an angel, and this angel's job is to escort those who have recently, like, just died to heaven. And along, and he's fascinated by 
the experience of living because as an angel, he's never been alive the way that, that a human is. He's invisible to humans until they die and then they see him as he escorts them to heaven. And he, he and his buddy, he's got this buddy that he hangs around with all the time. He likes to ask recently died humans, what was your favorite thing about being alive? And then they kind of report back to each other. And it's a sort of uh, charming thing that runs through the film. So in the process of doing his job, he comes across a heart surgeon, which is played by Meg Ryan, and she fights for the life of a patient. He's standing there knowing, well, if I'm here, the guy's going to die. But she's so devastated at the loss, and Nicolas Cage becomes sort of fascinated by her. And so at, some, at one point, he actually makes himself visible to her because he's so interested in her and how passionate she is. And he tries to talk to her, but um, that doesn't go well. It's one of the best, most awkward conversations ever put on film. <laughs> and awkward is only Nicolas Cage can do. He excels Which is very at, awkward. Yeah, he excels at the sort of awkward misconnections, the sort of jangly conversations. But despite herself, Meg Ryan is intrigued. And eventually she... You know, he's an angel and there's just certain realities about his, what he is and what he can and cannot do that become very apparent. She's like, what the hell are you? And he's like, well, I'm an angel. And she's like, I can't handle that. Along the way, he meets Dennis Franz, who is a human about to die, whose last name is Messenger, because he is an angel who several decades ago chose to, quote, fall and become human. And he's telling him, you should do it too. So... Spoiler. I mean, it's not really a spoiler. Like, you know, that's what the movie's going to be about. <laughs> um, he chooses to fall for Meg Ryan in every sense of the word. And it's the, the imagery of the movie is so powerful. The, the way all of, all of these angels are just wearing black with sort of black long coats. And the way they just sort of silently gather around and just look at each other, they are very otherworldly. It's, it's really beautiful. They gather every morning to watch the sunrise and listen to this music that only they can hear, this celestial music. And they gather, they love to gather around humans reading because they can't read. They don't actually like know language. They haven't been taught. And so they touch humans and sort of listen in on their brains as they read. It's, it's just, I love the world that it creates. And it's, it's a melancholy film, but it's ultimately joyful. And the soundtrack is fucking killer. So, <laughs> and what I, and Nicolas Cage, he becomes romantic by being so weird. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. He, this is, this is a movie that just encapsulates why Nicolas Cage can be sexy. Cause he's not actually good looking. He's not he's actually. Not no, but I mean, he's not like, he's not like, he looks like a normal guy. He's not Tom Hiddleston for Christ's sake. No. He's not, <laughs> he's not Chris Hemsworth. Right? Even when he's well built though, he still kind of has this normal guy relatability to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's just, and, and even the way he sort of like bobs his head and his speaking cadence, like he's just always sort of a dude. He's sort of just a guy. <laughs> and even when he's an angel, he's just, you know, kind of a guy. Yes. I'm bobbing my head. Like I'm a guy. And I mean, but he's got such 
fire in him. That's what Nicolas Cage brings to his performances, this complete commitment that it just, it becomes in the right role with the right script, it becomes something so compelling that you cannot help but fall in love with him. And I remember this movie came out while I was still in high school. And this was a huge movie among teenagers for some reason. I think it was just the concepts and the visuals, like you mentioned, the shot when they all gather for the sunrise. And that teenagers Goo- and that Goo Goo Dolls song. Yes, <laughs> oh <God. laughs> the soundtrack is amazing. It's got U two. It's got Alanis Morissette. It's got Peter Gabriel. But specifically it's got that Goo Goo Dolls, Dolls song. You could yeah. not escape that. It was playing over and over and over endlessly for a couple of years. And the and the um, endless and the uninvited song by Alanis Morissette. That oh was, yeah, that's right. That was for that too. You, you're not allowed. You're yes, uninvited. Yes. Yep. Oh God, you just brought me back to high school. But that's the thing, though. Teenagers are romantic. Teenagers desperately are trying to figure out love and relationships. So any any mo- that's why teenagers fucking love Twilight. Yeah, and, and I think it's one of those also the movie. Because spoilers, a twist happens, there's a death, I won't fully get into it. It also has this kind of, it's not all roses and sunshine, which I think teenagers also kind of appreciate, that there is still this struggle, you don't always get what you're hoping for. Well, teenagers are really, teenagers are fascinated by death. Mm -hmm. And this movie, because he is an angel of death, right? But it's it's a movie where literally... The la- the message of the film, like the last thing that said is like, yes, life is worth it. Yeah. Even knowing that you're going to die, even though you will lose people that you love, life is worth it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. No, yeah, and I, I would go for it. I, it's, a, it's a shame I didn't get to rewatch it again here recently, but I, I do still very fondly remember that. And I, I still fondly remember like tons of Dennis Franz's dialogue, even like 17 years later. Oh, he's so great. Oh, fun facts. Mm-hmm. There is a rooftop scene with Dennis Franz mm-hmm. and Nicolas Cage. They sit, they're sit; they sitting on a scaffolding high above because, of course, why would angels be afraid of heights? Except the two actors are deathly afraid of heights. Of course. And the angels rarely blink. Nicolas Cage actually practiced how to do his scenes without blinking when he was being an angel. <laughs> I'm surprised Just that Nicolas Cage didn't have his eyelids surgically removed. Cause, yeah, because that's a thing he would do. Oh, I'll get think. to that in one of mine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, I know. Because I know what you're going to pick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, who's next? Oh, I'll take one. Okay. Valley Girl. Oh. <laughs> is, is that his screen debut? No, Rumblefish no. was. I think that was like his first lead role, though. Yes, definitely. Uh, no, Rumblefish and- was afterwards, actually, I'm looking. Well, they were the same year, yeah. so. But anyway, uh, Valley Girl, um, you know, the first movie where Nicolas Cage was billed as Nicolas Cage. Um, it is it, this sweet little teen romance set in the heyday of the Valley Girl era, which lasted for about six months. And it is <laughs> about this uh, preppy young girl uh, living in the Valley in California and she falls in love with a punk rocker who is played by Nicolas Cage. So it's the the mismatched teenagers finding each other and falling in love thing. But I really like it because it's a very smart script. The teens don't play to stereotypes very much. Right. Um, they, they're much more human. Uh, the Valley Girl isn't like 
stuck up or anything. She's just, you know, she's very nice. It's just, you know, her experience is the suburban experience and Nicolas Cage is kind of coming from the opposite direction there. And uh, they they just find each other and like like each other and kind of start exploring each other's worlds. And, um, you know, of course, you know, the friends don't know what's up with that and there's, you know, personality clashes and all that fun stuff. Politics, classism. Yeah, oh, so yeah. it's like Greece. Yeah, without yeah. without mu- Well, there is music. There's right. plenty of uh, really great early '80s music on the soundtrack, um, but uh, it's it's just this smart, really kind of gentle teen romance uh, directed by Martha Coolidge. So one of the few women directing back in those days. Mm-hmm. So it's got it, it's just got a really nice touch to it. I I really enjoy it. And I, this was my first time seeing it for the movie night. And I, I don't know, I had a hard time clicking with it at first mm-hmm. because it is this very, it's very realistic in terms of how people talk and interact, mm-hmm. almost uncomfortably so. Yes. And it took a little while just to get into that. But it's like once I did, yeah, it, it was a really fascinating character study of just teenagers. You realize all I want right now is to play both Valley Girl by Frank Zappa and Punk Rock Girl by the Dead Milkman. <laughs> of course. When really it should be uh, oh, oh crap, I forget the band. Uh, I Stopped the World and Melt, melt With You. <laughs> oh, Because that's in yeah. the movie. <laughs> yeah. Shit, I don't remember the band. But yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I, I usually know it. It is gone from my head at this very moment. I want to hear a version where it's Nicolas Cage doing the da-la-la-da-la-la part. all right so noel noel you need a turn all right let me go ahead and just start with my most mainstream one national treasure sweet (laughs) it's one of my favorites (laughs) it is it it is probably it it is just this wonderful silly warm fun exciting treasure hunt movie that is complete nonsense and yet it just embraces it and just has fun Mm -hmm. And, and what i love about cage in this movie is he is an action nerd. Oh, yeah. He is, he is the nerdiest history professor guy who just gets so passionate about telling all this little historical details and stuff while in the middle of running from gun shooting, you know, assailants and, and diving through booby traps and stuff. It's just it's just such a lovable adventure movie. Jumping off an aircraft carrier. Yes. <laughs> and then just also the rest of the cast where it's, you know, building the, the family with his sidekick and the woman that they meet. And I love the romance between those two because the, it's the typical they hate each other, but then they become fond of each other, but they play it in a really great way. Yeah, and Riley is so great. And Riley is oh, hilarious. God, Riley. <laughs> and it's it's just it's one of those movies where it's silly, but who gives a shit? Because it's just so sharp and exciting and fun. There's so many great lines. The editing is beautiful in that movie. The score is great. Wait it's a minute. Just... I know something you don't. Wait, is this what it's like to be you? Let me just <laughs> pause. Wow, this feels really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is just such a damn fun movie. And it, it, it this is like what a summer adventure movie should be like. And it's not yeah. dark. I think like one person dies in the entirety of it. You know, just from no. falling off a cliff. Because it's, it's a Disney PG movie. 
Mm-hmm. And yet it's an exciting summer blockbuster. Well, yeah, it's it's totally in the mold of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's just... But even you know, that was dark, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, that was seriously dark. This is light and fun and fluffy and family-friendly and... Yeah, and it just, just doesn't end yeah. with him killing the bad guy. It ends with him just outsmarting the bad guy and being like, aha. Yeah, it, it's, it's good fun. Sean Bean doesn't die. He does not die. Which is amazing. <laughs> and yet Ed Harris does in the sequel. That's weird. Yeah, it's so strange. <laughs> I believe I've mentioned this story on the podcast before, but this is the movie I came home with because I had bought it. My husband's like, why? If you want to watch that movie, let's just watch Raiders. And I'm like, yes, but sometimes I want to watch Raiders, but I want it to be bad. <laughs> I want it to be cheesy and ridiculous. I but, would argue against the bad, but yes, go ahead. Yeah, I. the more I watch it, the more I'm like, this isn't bad. This is perfect popcorn. And... It is so good at it is so good at getting you excited for American history because it just casually mentions all these places and people and events and he is so excited by them and the way he talks about them it's like this was an amazing point in history and it's like well shit how do I not know about this I should go find out because this must have been great and that's what I love is that among the ridiculous treasure hunt stuff it does weave in real history. Yeah. In, mm-hmm. a, in a really exciting and fun way. Like, I love the opening with Christopher Plummer, where it's just it's just a complete info dump prologue, but it's done in a really exciting way that shows, yes, this would inspire this child who's hearing this story from his grandfather to go and become this historian. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> Benjamin Franklin never invented spectacles that could see in 3D. FYI. Right. No, no, that's... No. No. Just, and I'm pretty sure there is not an invisible treasure map in the back of the Constitution. That, we know of. that he's rolling up and putting in a plastic tube. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that... <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that the guards who are stationed in that room are really sick of hearing about that map. <laughs> See, and it's, it's one of those things, though, where I think it's one of those films that it knows that it's ridiculous... Mm-hmm. But it's it's oh, also yeah. but it's also not playing it tongue in cheek. It's not like playing it like a big zany. Look how silly this is. It's just it's focusing on the characters. It's focusing on the interactions because I mean the entire thing is this great. How do we solve this historical thing? Well, we dive through it and take the money, or we find an actual historical information. And the whole bonding of the characters as a family. It's just it's it's a really well focused fun movie. It's a movie that looks at the audience and says, this is fun. Yes. I like, there's no knowing wink, haha, look at us, we're being clever. It's just, I'm having a great time. I hope you'll come mm-hmm. along because this is so much fun. And that was always kind of my problem with the Dan Brown ones is the Dan Brown ones. They're so serious. They're They're trying to be serious and corny and they don't juggle it. And this one was just like, dude, have fun. This is this yeah. is like this is like a Goonies for adults movie. Honestly, because I've I read the Dan Brown books because I fly and they're perfect flying books. I do too. Um, I don't I don't hate them, but yeah, yeah, they're they're ridiculous and enjoyable. But yeah, this is a movie that sh- like is a tutorial to whoever makes a Dan Brown book. This is how you do it. Yeah, right here. This is how you do it. If you're doing it in any other way, you're failing. Although. A six foot full, six foot tall albino monk 
was a poor choice on Dan Brown's part. We've talked about that in the past. <laughs> oh, yes. Moving on. Moving on. And I should also just give some props to the sequel. It's not as good as the first National Treasure, but it is still a really darn good movie. And it brings in Helen Mirren, which never goes wrong. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Helen Mirren. Also, there really is a chamber behind Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. They, they were like totally building that. And because, yeah, I was at Mount Rushmore this summer. What? I'm a nerd. I, I think that figures into the plot of Logan's Run, the book. You, I love you, Melissa. All right, it's my turn. Yes. Yes. I want to talk about Next. Oh, God. <laughs> I have a very complicated history with Next, but I'll let you, I'll let you start. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. You said that on that email, and I'm like, because I just watch this on Netflix. Viewers, it's on Netflix. You can, en- you can quote, quote, enjoy this. For free, if you've got a Netflix account, right this very minute. So next is, um, oh, what's his name? Cadillac? Something Cadillac. Ne- Jimmy Cadillac? It doesn't matter. He's Chris. His real name is Chris, but he... So this is a man who his job is, he is a Vegas entertainer, a Vegas magician. And the reason he's a Vegas magician is he actually has the ability to see... What about thirty seconds into the future? Is that right? Am I yeah, remembering a very right? short it's, amount of I time? Think it was six minutes. I don't think it was that long. Or was it? It was, it was very short. Okay. Anyway, it's some in, it's some really short window of time, but he can see that far into the future, which means he's really effective as a Vegas stage magician because he can do things and know what's going to happen and be like, "This is about to happen." Oh, look, it happened! Ooh, it's magic. But he also um, supplements his income by playing the craps tables, never too much. But he does it just often enough that he gets on the radar of the FBI who want to use him to foil a plot for a nuclear weapon that has been hidden somewhere in the U.S. And they're like, you need to find it. So parallel plot. I wouldn't call Mm -hmm. it a subplot, except it's super important. He keeps having this vision of this woman that he's supposed to meet at this diner at a specific time. And he knows the time, but he doesn't know whether it's morning or evening. And he doesn't know what day. And he's like, this woman is important because I can only see three minutes into the future, however long it is. I don't fucking care. Two minutes. Thank you, Melissa. I can only see two minutes into the future, but clearly I can see her more than two minutes into the future. And so he keeps showing up morning and evening every day at this one diner, hoping to finally meet her. And then he finally does. And she must be important and blah, 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 blah. And relationship happens. And that's sort of a delightful like, like montage of him trying out various things as he looks in the future, right? Because he can try various things by, if I do this, what will happen? Uh, mm-hmm. No, that doesn't work. If I do this, what will happen? Uh, no, if I do this, what will happen? Uh, okay, that's better. I'll do that. So he gets a relationship with this woman and blah, blah, blah. And then... He has to be on the run from the FBI. He doesn't want to get involved, but he gets involved and he's using his powers and blah, blah, blah. And then there's a big, huge twist ending. What? I don't want to spoil it because it's kind of ridiculous and you need to get there. You just need to get there on your own. You just yeah. need to get there on your own. Um, it, it is. Yeah. I, I'm not in love with the movie. It's a great concept. And I just don't think it pulls it off all that well. That's my issue. Yeah. It's worth watching, I think. I mean, as long as you don't have very high expectations of it, it's worth watching just to kind of get the parts that it does right. Yeah. 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 Like, 
it doesn't fail. It's just not excellent. I mean, one of the sequences that I think they execute well is the whole him running down the mountain and figuring out all the various alternate paths to not be hit by all the stuff that's falling down behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of, like, and there's a point where he finally does team up with the FBI as they're trying to infiltrate the um, the stronghold of the terrorists. And he basically is, like, just walking along with them and being like, no, go there, no, go there, wait. That's something I'm going to bring up, yes. <laughs> wait, wait, now go. And then there's a point where he's like, I'll take this, these, this floor and the one above. You go search everything else because he's basically looking into the future. If I go up these stairs, what's ha- what happens? If I go up these stairs and turn right, what happens? If I go up these stairs and turn left, what happens? And it's unclear how his powers work, though, that he can do that. It's yeah, it's both on the one. This is a movie. Don't think about it. I I mean. I, I assume what the movie is trying to portray is that he can only see like two minutes into the future because once you get past two minutes, your brain can't encompass all of the threads it has to follow. Well, I mean, I, I feel like that may be the ex, quote explanation. What, what for he's it. saying is, what would be the results of if I made this choice? It's like a choose yeah. your own adventure novel. He's reading ahead. Yeah. He's like, what happens if I choose this chapter? It's like he can see into all possible universes and see the branches, Mm -hmm. but he can only see so far because you you can only calculate. You can, like, if you're playing a game of chess, you can only calculate so many moves ahead before you start losing it. And I mean, if you're a master chess player, you can calculate more moves ahead, but... You know, at some point, it's it's not worth it because it it gets too tangled. But, but yeah, I, I I mean that's my interpretation of it. I think that's kind of what the movie was trying to show. But you know, like I said, it's not a great movie. It, it just doesn't pull it off quite as well as it should have. Yeah, and and about my history with it is I I, I said before on the podcast I am a collector of screenplays. I read this before I saw the movie. And this was the original spec script by Gary Goldman. Gary Goldman was one of the writers on Total Recall. He was one of the writers on Minority Report. He comes out of that Dan O'Bannon, Ron Chusette group, uh, who were very heavily involved with the, with licensing Philip K. Dick stuff. So he licensed this directly from Philip K. Dick. Gary Goldman is one of my favorite writers. And mm-hmm. this is one of my all-time favorite screenplays. I have never read a screenplay that excited me and pulled me in and just drew me along with these brilliant concepts as I did this script. The finished film is, it's one of those cases where it's a severely watered down, it's not the script. All right, send me the script. I want to read it. I will. Because I fucking, I fucking love a time travel movie. And that's yeah. what this is. Well, and, and the, the whole thing, you mentioned that bit in the, in the terrorist compound where he's like going all the various paths but he's ultimately not really doing anything. He's just saying, go this way. Uh, the, way the way that sequence was, was the terrorist plot was a very small part that kind of was going through the background of the original script. And it, in the end, it was like, he, it, the entire script is him focused on trying to escape the government. And it's like the script builds up to a point where he finally manages to do that and a nuclear bomb goes off in the city. And he's like, I've been so focused on myself that I just let all these people die. And then that that's that's the explanation behind the law, the big twist at the end that I won't fully reveal, but he gets another chance. And 
there's this one sequence where he's been kidnapped by the government and that whole showing all the multiple paths was we were supposed to then follow him as he goes through every possible alternative to escape this government building full of agents, full of security guards. He gets halfway through it, realizes that the girl he's in love with is in the building too. And now he has to figure out, okay, I have to figure out a way to get both of us out. And it's like this brilliant sequence showing all these various alternatives just splitting off and branching off of one another it down to the point where he has to make the choice. The only way I can do this is if I grab a gun and start shooting people. What does that mean? Am I willing to do that? And he goes and maps out this entire thing. And then you just follow, you cut back to him in his cell. And then you just follow a single shot for two minutes as he goes and does the one action that gets him and her out. And it was this brilliantly choreographed sequence on the page. And that was not what we got. The closest we got to that was the 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 whole running down the mountain, which was an earlier scene in the script, too. That was a fun scene. Yeah. And that was it, a very fun scene. And it's like a lot of the script is still here, but it's been very refocused because they wanted to build up the terrorist plot. The whole Vegas magician and him with the whole uh, trivia about Elvis was something that Nicolas Cage added himself. <laughs> of course. <laughs> You know, and the whole the whole limit to his time in the script, it was just it, it would require him to sit down and focus more in order to go further into the future. Like the only reason he can focus on going through the entire building is because he's locked up in a cell with nothing to do. You know, the whole thing is usually he's in the moment, so he can only see a quick flashes here and there as he's moving along. So that's where yeah. the limit. Instead, they were just like, no, flat two minute limit. Which I kind of mm, I kind of like because omnipotence like the ability to go as far as you can depending on your mm -hmm. like i kind of just like the concept of what would you do if you had an amazing ability but it was super limited like yeah. i can fly but i can only fly at walking speed right. right and that's the thing is he can only see his own future he can only follow his own lines of what if i went and did this what if i made that choice yeah so there's a lot that's interesting about it, listeners, which is why I brought it up, because I found myself just sort of like, this is interesting. This is an interesting take on a, oh, on a very Dick's typical. Like, yeah. It, well, it's based on a Philip K. Dick story. On yeah, no, the, it, it's a great concept. And I love how he took that concept and built an action movie around it. Yeah, it's a, it's called The Golden Man. I haven't read it, but I did find that out. It was based on a Philip K. Dick. So, yeah, it's. You know what? There are worse ways to spend a couple of hours. Yeah, I do recommend having a bottle of something next to you to uh, help you pass the time or some popcorn. One of the two. Yeah. And, and <laughs> as I said, you know, this Total Recall, Minority Report, and Screamers were all Philip K. Dick adaptations that were all kind of written by the same group of people. So I think it definitely fits in with that. Melissa, what film did you pick? I picked Frozen Ground. This was one of the things that you know, when we started playing it, it's like nobody knew anything about this movie. It was just kind of this movie that came out in 2013. And I don't think anybody saw it. But... I knew of it, but I, I hadn't seen it. Yeah. And um, first of all, it is uh, the, the a real story. It is the real story of a serial killer, Robert Hansen, who was active in Alaska killing prostitutes for a long time. And um, the, the movie is uh, Nicolas Cage is the cop and uh, John Cusack is the, the serial killer. Yes. And it's the reunion after Con Air. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I, it, it's not a 
spectacular movie yeah. in that it's it's not flashy. It's it's really kind of intimate. It's kind of a small cast. It takes place in a small town. They film there in winter over kind of a long period so the, the days just kind of got shorter and shorter so it's got that weird um impending forever darkness of wintertime alaska going on and um so i liked the atmosphere and i really liked really liked john cusack yes holy crap <laughs> um Cage is fun to watch, and I, I know this is a Cage episode, but the real star of that movie is John Cusack being didn't, didn't a creepy a quote, motherfucker. Uh, didn't you have a quote from Danny Trejo? Oh, oh God. Okay, so, um, dear listeners, if you listen to uh, How Did This Get Made podcast, this is something that came up during one of their very early episodes. Uh, they did an interview with uh, Danny Trejo. And, you know, they were just talking about his career and stuff. And they were talking about Con Air. And they said, Danny Trejo, okay, you've spent some time in prison and you've, you know, spent some time with some pretty scary guys. Um, on Con Air, who was the craziest motherfucker you worked with? Who, who was the scariest guy you worked with? And he goes, without pause, without even thinking about it, John Cusack. <laughs> <laughs> and they went what and he goes yeah there's something behind his eyes man that motherfucker's crazy and this is a film where man do we fucking see it oh yeah yeah he leverages it <laughs> it is creepy i mean you see it a little bit in gross point blank oddly enough um where you know john cusack is is playing a hired killer and he's a very genial guy, but, um, you know, literally in that movie, there's a point where he goes, yeah, I became a hired killer because the army figured out I had a certain moral flexibility and mm -hmm. I actually didn't mind killing people. And you can kind of see that in his eyes in uh gross point blank, but in frozen ground, it's, he yeah, is he's like a normal bookish guy who you see yeah. like, Tying up, torturing prostitutes, taking them out to grounds, hunting them, you know, and then the whole scene where it's uh, Nicolas Cage and him in a room where Cage is trying to get him to confess. Uh-huh. It is. Cusack is God. He's so creepy. <laughs> yeah. It It is quite a movie to watch. So, yeah, I think this one's on Netflix. It was really mm -hmm. easy to find. So, uh, if you got time for it and... Uh, yeah, it's like a police procedural cat and mouse game. It's you know, like an episode of SVU. Yeah, pretty much. But it's very good. Well, I believe it's Noel's turn. Noel, what are you going to pick for us? I am going to pick the 1993 thriller Red Rock West. Yes! I love this movie so huh. much. I had never heard of this I film. I don't know anything about it. Oh, it's amazing. It's it's John Dahl. Did, was he the guy who did... Oh, crap. IMDb's not working for me. Was he the guy who did the um, the Paul Walker being chased by a semi-truck movie? <laughs> IMDb is literally not opening for me, so I can't look it up. <laughs> John Dahl did uh, Joyride, you mean? Joyride, yes. Yes, yes, he is. So this is my second movie of his I've seen, and Red Rock West is this great one where isn't Nicolas Cage is just kind of a drifter, and he's going to this town, and when he goes to a bar to talk to the bartender, the bartender mistakes him for an assassin that he hired to kill his wife, and Nicolas Cage just kind of goes with it. You know, with the thought of, you know, maybe I can take the money. Maybe I can save the woman's life. I don't know. And 
ends up getting caught in this whole thing. And then Dennis Hopper shows up as the real killer. Mm -hmm. So it's this big kind of blood simple Hitchcockian thriller of, of just the, these. It's just like four characters. The yeah. guy, his wife, the real hitman and the fake hitman. And and the four people are Nicolas Cage, Dennis Hopper, Lara Flynn Boyle, and J.T. Walsh. Oh, I love J.T. Walsh. Oh, <sighs> yeah, it's it is super great. It and it, it's it, it's a small film, but it's it is stylish. It is trim. It is, it is incredibly tense. Yeah. It, it's just a sharp little movie, it is and a, it's like, where has this movie been all my life? It is a brilliant, almost noir-esque thriller. Yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's like a western noir. Not yeah. not western, but uh, well, it's set out west, and it's all dusty, so western in that sense. Yeah. But but yeah, it's uh, it's really a treat. And then just and then it's just this great thing of how he has this whole thing where he's pretending to be the hitman, and like you get to the midpoint of the movie. Dennis Hopper drives up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in a cowboy hat ah. with a big big belt buckle. And this is early 90s Dennis Hopper. This is full Top of his game. on Dennis Hopper. <laughs> that, is, that is Mario Brothers era Dennis Hopper right there. Yes, yes it is. That is King Koopa I era. I say that as a compliment. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> Oh no! So yeah, Red Rock West. It's just it's just an absolutely pitch perfect thriller. I mean, it's like we. I remember we were all gripped with this movie from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. It just mm -hmm. it just it was just one of those perfect thrillers where you just need to see how this is going to turn out, oh, and it just it, keeps throwing in a new twist and a new twist. And of course, it all starts revolving around a buried bag of money. Because <laughs> ah. everybody wants a buried bag of money. <laughs> Yes, I would like a buried bag of money. I'd like to place my order. <laughs> yeah, and Cage is just, he's great as this very minimalist, that, that kind of the man with no name wanders in, wanders into town. He doesn't speak much. He doesn't do much. It, it, it very much reminds me of like the, the Clint Eastwood Leone type characters. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I, I loved it. It was a fantastic movie. Yeah, so did I. It, now, it was one of my, it's one of the best discoveries we had during Cage Night. Yeah, my favorite discovery of Cage Night is one that I know you have coming up later. This would be number two. This was my, yeah. I love discovering this. Also, Frozen Ground is not currently on Netflix because I went Grr. to try to add it to my And we queue. lucked out. Curses. Yeah. There, if you look up Nicolas Cage, there are... Do, 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 13 films currently available by Nicolas Cage. And one of them is Rage and don't watch it. No. <laughs> yes, let, Rage let me, is on there. Oh, I was going to mention Rage at some point. Can I just go ahead and follow on that yes, real quick? Yes, yes. Let's, let's talk just a little bit about Rage. You would, you would expect a, a film starring Nicolas Cage called Rage to be amazing. It was one of the flattest, most boring... <laughs> It's just it's just like, you know, ex-cop, his wife gets kidnapped. Peter Stamari is even boring in that movie. Oh my god. Yeah. This this is a movie that fills so hard. It makes both Nicolas Cage and Peter Stamari boring. Who directed it and they should be smacked. With the exception of one scene, it has one scene that lives up to that title. Where it's Nicolas Cage is chasing a guy through an abandoned mall, they get up to the roof. Nicolas Cage stabs the guy, 
The guy falls down, won't tell him what he wants to know. So Nicolas Cage, screaming, full open mouth, wide-eyed Cage, just like howling as he empties his entire handgun into this guy. And then just starts kicking the corpse while still howling. And, <laughs> it is like that, those two minutes, it lives up to the title. And I wish the rest of the movie could have been that. So I, what I'm picturing is like, you know, um, white people, like first world problems, white people problems. <laughs> like, you know, first world rage. Eh, I'm angry. Yeah. I'm well, rageful. I mean, and it tries to be a gritty, hard-boiled crime drama. It's not. It's it, like not. tries to have like this big poignant tragic ending where he kills himself in order to save his daughter but it's just so flat i think we were even confused as to what actually even happened at the end yeah it's it don't watch it it's not worth it not worth it it, it was it was a piece of poop <laughs> a piece of poop <laughs> it really it's not was. even worthy of being called shit it was just a piece of poop it's just ew so don't it's watch just, it it's just a turd just yeah, floating there just something that you walked over on your way in from the park all right, well, I'm going to bring us back around. I'm Good. not sure that I'm raising the bar from that, but this is something I found on Netflix and I decided to watch one night because it had Nicolas Cage in it, which meant that I was probably going to be entertained because that's why you watch a Nicolas Cage film, right? I think we can all agree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, no matter what else, Nicolas Cage will be you know, there's a 90% success rate of enjoyable entertainment, just watching him like chew everything in sight. So the film I would like to talk about is Knowing. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I, am, I fully have you back for this one, Wendy. I know I was alone watching that on Cage Night. Everyone else was just scowling at me as I'm sitting there like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I won't rain on your, your parade, but please, please continue. Please continue. I love, I love time travel movies. I love supernatural movies. I love prophecy movies. I fucking love prophecy movies. It's why, even though I'm an atheist, I fucking love biblical movies, right? Whenever they get into like the revelations, I'm like, yes, tell me the future. Tell me how it all sucks. Yes. Have you ever seen Dragonfly starring Kevin Costner? No. <laughs> Should I? Maybe. <laughs> oh, what a ringing endorsement. <laughs> anyway, please continue. Yes. So knowing, FYI listeners, it's not knowing the word K-N-O-W-I-N-G. No, it's much more clever than that. It's K-N-O-W number one N-G. Ooh, it's so leet. Is there a reason for that? No. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. <laughs> yes, there is. Yes, God yes, damn it. Yes. yes, there is. The reason is, okay, so the plot is, back in like the 1950s, they're burying a capsule, and there's this poor little girl, Lucinda, and she is weird. She apparently hears voices, and as they're like, each kid is putting in something into the time capsule to be opened like 50 years later... And what Lucinda, everybody else is like drawing pictures of what the world would look like. And Lucinda just covers a sheet in numbers. And finally the teacher takes it away from her and puts it in. And then they eventually find Lucinda in a, in like a closet, scratching numbers into the wood with her fingernails to the point where her fingernails are bleeding. So this is a very disturbed young girl. This all becomes relevant because 50 years later, they open the time capsule and this young boy whose father is Nicolas Cage. Uh-huh. 
This young boy gets handed Lucinda's sheet of paper, and he's supposed to write something about, like, reflecting on this person from 50 years ago, what they wrote. And he's like, Dad, what the fuck? It's just a sheet covered with numbers. But Nicolas Cage, who's an astrophysicist, (laughs) yes, he is. (sighs) Shut up, Melissa. It's awesome. (laughs) Um, he, He looks at these numbers, and he starts putting together that they are dates with a with a number following and the number following is the number of people who died on that date because every date that's on that sheet is the date of a catastrophe a catastrophe that at the time this was written was in the future oh my god this girl can see the future what and so he goes as he's decoding this like he first like picks up like i think it's the hindenburg he's like wait that's the date of the hindenburg that's how many people died in it and that's like his key into it that's his rosetta stone and he starts chunking the numbers out and he's like every one of these refers to a disaster 9 11 yeah and he goes through all of them and then as he gets to the end it includes the death of his wife does it as one of them yeah Oh my god, I had forgotten that. Because she knew I was going to find this. Oh yeah, that's right. Because Nicholas Cage, she knew I was going to find this. She knew this. it was for me. <laughs> it was for me. Um, there are three dates left that are in the future from from the time that Nicholas Cage finds it. And they there is disaster... And there is disaster. And because he's an astrophysicist, he figures out the last disaster. And it's, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then meanwhile, there are these creepy motherfuckers showing up talking to his kid. I'm not shitting you. There are these creepy motherfuckers showing up to talking talk to his, to his kid, kid. from a football yard's length away through a, through a window. And they keep giving him, like, stones. What? Like, just a rock. <laughs> like you do. <laughs> And it's just the weirdest fucking film. But what I love about this film is it fucking goes there unapologetically. It is the goddamned end of the world and we are not pulling any punches. No, we're not going to fix it at the end. The world fucking dies. Yes, it might be a spoiler, but you know what? Fuck you. The world ends, motherfucker. (laughs) And it's kind of awesome. And I, you know what? I goddamn liked it. I did. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, I stress, I don't think it's a fantastic movie. I do think it's kind of clunky at times. It's a little slow at times. But when it goes there, I, I love because it's Alex Proyas who did Dark City, The Crow and all that stuff. He's kind of been a little looser lately. But but when he, he saw his opportunities to stage disasters, like when that plane goes down. True. We are not just seeing a plane crash. We are then seeing Nicolas Cage in a single shot running through the wreckage of the plane, putting out people who are on fire. Like, what is this madness? No, look at the horror. You know, it, mm-hmm. it just keeps going on and on. And then the scene with that train crash, it just the biggest, most spectacular, drawn out train crash sequence you could think of. Alex Proyas really knows how to make you f- really regret your life. Yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah, the ending where it's literally just aliens are like, we're going to take these two kids. They'll be the next Adam and Eve on some other world. You're all dead. Goodbye. They float up into the sky and literally then the sun explodes and the heat wave ripples around the earth and just blows up everything. (laughs) Yeah. And it's the new kids in their own new Garden of Eden. I just love how far it goes. It's like, yes, we're just going to do it. Fuck you. No, we're not going to pull our punches. No, we're not going to solve this. No, there's not going to be a pat happy ending. No, the world fucking 
dies, asshole. <laughs> Nick Cage dies, and he does it like in Nick Cagery. And yes, you know what? This movie is entertaining as fuck. So I know. That's should... why I was so excited to watch it with everyone at movie night. But they were all just like, ah, this is lame. This is no. Shut up. This is super. <laughs> this is super enjoyable. If you like prophecy movies with the world ending, I do. I don't know what that says about me because generally I like happy movies, but I also apparently like this movie. One last note on knowing. Yeah. Is as my being a collector of screenplays, I have the early, early, early draft when Richard Kelly was going to make that as follow up to Donnie Darko. <laughs> and it is a completely different movie. Like it's the same setup, but then instead of disasters, it's more just like murders in a small town. It's more of just a kind of small quiet noir thriller and after he left that project he took a lot of his material because his script was completely thrown out and was it knowing it was rewritten from scratch he took a lot of that material and then made the box huh. mm-hmm. so the box is is basically what his version of knowing would have been and i i don't hate the box i don't love the box box is a, a nice continuation of donnie darko <laughs> Which I, I don't, don't love Donnie Darko, but again, I was I was in I was a teenager right at that time. <laughs> I I I do kind of love Donnie Darko, but the phrase "I don't hate the box, I don't love the box." The box is to... an interesting film. It's just kind of flat. <laughs> Keep talking about the box, Noel, because <laughs> I've reached the evening, the part of the evening where I'm a twelve-year-old boy. <laughs> well, you know, it's hard to get into the box. <laughs> And then once you're in there trying to find your way around, you got to push all the right buttons. <laughs> oh, thank you for appeasing me. Okay. Who's next? That would be me. Yes. I would like to select It Could Happen to You. Aww. Oh, Jesus, really? Yeah. Oh, Stanley Tucci. Oh, my God. <laughs> That was the shirtless so, Stanley Tucci one, Wendy. That was the shirtless Stanley Tucci oh, one. And that, that's, that's right. Oh, that is wheelhouse yeah. happening for you. But anyway. I've seen no, I've seen it. <laughs> oh and yeah. I, okay. I don't hate it, but it's so trite and Oh, typical. it totally is. Oh, of course. It it really is. It really is. But I I like I don't know, I have a weird fondness for um comedies of this era. I don't know, it was like when I was growing up and all that. But I like, you know, first of all, it's it's a true story, right? If I yeah. remember right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, Loosely. A, a, yeah. A cop basic. The, the plot is a cop goes into a diner and he orders a cup of coffee and uh, he and the waitress, you know, are having a fun time talking to each other. And it turns out he doesn't have any money. He's like, oh, crap. Um Okay, can I can I spot you, or I'll come back. I swear I'll pay you back. And she's like, oh, whatever, you know, because it, it's like, eh, I've been jerked around before. And he goes, no, really. Um, okay, I have this lottery ticket. Um, if if it wins on Saturday, I will split it with you. And she goes, yeah, whatever. And she just lets him go. And sure enough, he wins the lottery. So he goes back to the diner and tells her that she has half of this jackpot. And so the the ensuing movie is, you know, just kind of this romantic comedy about them starting to try to know each other, you know, starting to get to know each other and also the people around them um, either, you know, turning into jerks because now they have money and they want stuff from them or... Rosie uh, Perez. 
Like, oh God, Rosie, Rosie Perez. Fucking Perez. <laughs> Rosie Perez being the best annoying person on the planet. She is so magnificently annoying. She's like perfect for what she was hired to do. And uh, Stanley Tucci being the the snotty ex boyfriend, yeah. um, who is shirtless and walking around her apartment in a rolled up bath towel and drinking a big thing of wine. Oh, and... the, the best moment <laughs> is while shirtless and towel, where, where where he just gets between two counters in the kitchen hoists himself up on his arms and just starts penduluming <laughs> yes i remember that all the muscles just start that that was when we all just suddenly were like whoa stanley tucci hello stanley and i think i think that was on the kurosawa episode where we yes we revealed that to wendy and all started picture searching yes i believe that was a thing that happened <laughs> I, I have a vague recollection, and then I fell asleep, if mm-hmm. I remember right. Yes. I remember that. But that's, that's an image to fall asleep to. It is. That's something to take you into very sweet dreams indeed. Um, so, yeah, Rosie Perez plays his wife, plays Nicolas Cage's wife, who then, like, sues him because he's trying to give away half the money. And she's like, fuck you, that's mine. And she's like, she's so shallow. She got like a boob job. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. She's amazing in it. She's fantastic. Yeah. And that was a fun trivia bit was where those were her real boobs, which is because she has big boobs and she had just taped them down for the earlier parts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so not surprised by that. Just, that was just a fun trivia bit. <laughs> Easy boob job. Just... <laughs> Pop off the tape. Uh, (laughs) Release the hounds. (laughs) So anyway, it could happen to you. It's it's light. It's frothy. It's it's not great, but I found it to be fun. I wasn't familiar with it before. I liked going back there and seeing that, and it was it was fun after seeing like a whole run of really mediocre Nicolas Cage movies to go. Oh, that's right. He was occasionally cast in comedies, and he was kind of sweet and funny. Didn't we do that in Guarding Tess on the same night? It it was either that or uh, that in Moonstruck. Okay, but it was I just one remember of that two. being a delightful evening. Yeah, yeah. But, well, both both guard, Guarding Tess is a lot of fun, too, listeners. I don't know if we're going to talk about Nymphal, but Guarding Tess is really fun. He's a really good romantic leading man. Yeah, he is. And oh, another one to mention, Honeymoon in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. I've... <laughs> he has okay. this really good handful of romantic comedies. Yeah. Yeah. Honeymoon in Vegas, where he para- he paratroops dressed as Elvis into Las Vegas. <laughs> yes. Um, and, you know, that that's something that happened. <laughs> yes. And, and I think after that, we just wanted every Cage film to end that way. Well, wouldn't you? you yeah. Know, eight millimeter, let's kill all the villains and then drop out of the sky dressed as Elvis. That would have improved that movie. <laughs> City of Angels, I'm going to rejoin the angels and we'll all come down from the sky. That, that <laughs> would be the best. <laughs> oh my god, that would be... <laughs> Noel, it's your choice. Okay, I am going to go with Adaptation. Woohoo! Yay! Which we have sang praises of before on this podcast, but let's do that again! Which, which to date is the only Charlie Coffin movie I've seen. We gotta fix that. Which really? is weird because I've like read three others of <laughs> Well, yeah, you need to you need to see. Oh my god! You need to see That's some of these. They're they're magnificent films. Oh yeah, Eternal and, and Sunshine is so good. I know. I will see it. And being I John Malkovich. Oh, that, that one was, I've read. 
but I need to see it. Yeah. Oh, they, oh, it's special. <laughs> this is where we get into the weird thing of me being a script reader is there's a lot of films that I've read and still haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, no, adaptation, just one of those great things of Charlie Kaufman, a real life screenwriter, is hired to write an adaptation of what is The Orchid Thief? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And instead of writing, and this, this was what happened in real life, instead of writing an adaptation of The Orchid Thief, which he just found impossible to do he wrote a screenplay about himself struggling to write an adaptation of the orchid thief yes and then just presented that to the studio and they were like okay let's film it do something with this this is still kind of great and what was funny was the author of the orchid thief even has a whole chunk about the movie on her website she loved how it she she loved it even though you know the third act of the movie shows her like doing drugs and shooting at people with guns and well, this what makes it so great is that it gets so increasingly as they start to play with what's real and what is yeah. the script and then they go back to the orchid thief and he's like no you need to punch it up like it needs more action and then suddenly you're like he's drug yes. running and she's getting involved and it's Meryl and then, Streep and then and then it had that great angle of you have Charlie Kaufman who is this struggling writer who just has his own vision his own voice and all that stuff and he has invented for himself a twin brother Donald Kaufman who is one of those, you know, let's follow, you know, the story. Was it um, McKee? Yeah. Oh, what's, what's the name something. of that guy? Yeah. Uh, well, it's the, it, it's a formula. It's basically a screenplay Robert formula. Robert McKee. Yeah. Who had that story formula that, yeah. you know, all Hollywood studio writers need to follow. And, and, and he was one of those ones of let, let's just come up with the clever pitch, you know, and, and, and just wanted to be like kind of a stock Hollywood writer. And what's fascinating about the movie is the last half hour of the movie is where Charlie Kaufman basically gave up and gave it to Donald Kaufman. And then that's when it just becomes this wild, drug-addled action movie. Yes. And it's so great when you realize it. Like, for for me, for about five minutes, I'm like, what's happening here? Oh, my God, I get it! (laughs) And then, then Melissa, did you want to talk about identity? Oh God! Uh, no, we have Speaking already. Cusack. We we really. Oh God, John Cusack. It does bring in the back. It does the bring John in Cusack. Cusack. But, but but the tie to uh, to adaptation. Well, yeah. listeners, we will just simply say that um, a really good double feature is watch adaptation and then immediately after watch Identity with John Cusack because Identity is basically the exact thing that Donald Kaufman wrote <laughs> in in adaptation. Is it where oh like a cop and a killer and the woman the cop is protecting from the killer are all the same person and you don't know it. And then Identity came out and it's all these people in a 10 Little Indians murder mystery and they're all the same person. All the same person. Oh my god, I remember. I saw that in the theaters. I did and when too. That was re- and when it was revealed, I literally yelled out loud like, what the fuck? <laughs> what? See, and then what was funny was then we saw Seeking Justice oh, like a yeah. few weeks later. And it, it's an awful movie. But we it's were just terrible. sitting there like, it's a Donald Kaufman movie. It is. <laughs> and and it Seeking is. Justice was one of his other really kind of shitty direct-to-video ones. That I mean, it's Philip Noyce who, who did some big films at one point where it's, um, what is it, where his wife gets raped mm-hmm. and 
while she's recovering in the hospital, someone approaches him and says, would you like us to get rid of this person for you? If we do, you owe us a favor. And, you know, the next day the rapist has been murdered. And then, you know, he just goes about his life helping his wife recover and all that stuff. And then like months later, someone said it's time to cash in that favor. And it turns out there's this entire chain mail network of people who once someone helps you once someone get, helps you get revenge by killing the person who wronged you, then it will be your job to someday go and kill the person who wronged someone else. Yeah, and, and since, because and there is no chain of evidence, why would you have killed that person? Exactly, it's a because you're a stranger killing. who is not tied to this person. And also because of you know who you are, what your special set of skills are, you are the perfect person to perpetrate this crime. And so it's like him trying to figure out how to do this while also, you know moral struggle and trying to figure out who's all tied up in this network, which we can all tell from the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. I am picturing Nicholas Cage's moral struggle on his face. I find I can picture that easily. <laughs> oh, and that's the other thing was where he goes to try to save a guy, but in so doing accidentally knocks him over a bridge. But as the guy's falling down, kitty porn falls out of his pocket. <laughs> Well, that makes it okay, motherfucker. Yeah. And so it's, so then it's like that whole thing of, yes, I no, I've killed someone, but maybe he deserved it. I don't know. Ah. Also, <laughs> bonus points for Guy Pierce content in that movie. I forgot Guy Pierce was yeah. in that yeah. yeah. Okay, going back to adaptation, having met Charlie Kaufman, Nick Cage's hair in that movie becomes all the more delightful. <laughs> oh, yeah, really. It's... Although Nick Cage is about three feet taller than Charlie Kaufman. (laughs) Charlie Kaufman is so tiny. (laughs) He's a little tiny little man. (laughs) Oh my God. Also, so soft-spoken. I would love, I would love to fucking interview Nick Cage about how did you put your performance together and how much did you just look at Charlie Kaufman and go, I've got to be you. (laughs) Well, I mean, when you actually give Nicolas Cage something to do... (laughs) <laughs> he can he can be an excellent actor. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean the the man fucking won an Oscar for a reason. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's when when you leave him to his own devices, he's like, Well, if you haven't told me what to do, I'm gonna find something to do. Or or he will be bored. There are a lot where he just kind of shuts down. Oh yeah. Yeah, but it takes a lot for him to do that. I feel like where he shuts down is where the director is not letting him off the leash. Yeah. Right. Where the director is like, I don't know what I want you to do, but I know I don't want you to do that. And and what's what's hilarious about leaving Las Vegas is that you go back and watch it now and he's just basically caging out like he does in everything else. Well, yeah. And and they gave him an Oscar for it. But I mean, he did it in a good way. Yeah, no, he it's a great performance in leaving Las Vegas. It's it's a hard movie to watch. Yes. Yes, it is. But I mean, Come on, watch watch Moonstruck. That is totally him caging oh, out. Yeah. And oh, yet, yeah. that movie would not work without him. Specifically oh, yeah. him in that role. He is unapologetic. He is balls to the wall. He is passionate and charming. Absolutely. It's Nick Cage doing Nick Cage, but that doesn't mean that he's not fucking good at doing what he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll come back to that later. That, that'll be my last film. Well, and one last thing that. about adaptation was it was also just kind of interesting to watch and kind of uncomfortable to watch because... I am someone who also suffers from like severe social anxiety and until a few years ago, just never really opened up and talked to people. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's so much about that film that I'm like, 
Oh, I so painfully identify with that. <laughs> especially when he just doesn't know how to talk to women, you know, especially. Oh, yeah. It, um, it's it's hard to watch from that. I, I mean, even if you don't have social anxiety, it's, oh, yeah. it's uncomfortable because it really gets into the nitty gritty of somebody that awkward. Yes. Um, I, I've gotten better. Yeah. But it's still like, oh, man, I remember being that back in the day. <laughs> Here's a fun fact, listeners. I've gotten worse as I've gotten older. The older I get, the more I deconstruct every social interaction and regret every choice I've made. How fun is that? <laughs> well, you see, the thing is, I still have all those feelings. I've just gotten used to having those feelings so I can ignore them. <laughs> yeah, you and I are on opposite trajectories. I'm going to get more anxious yeah. as I get older. This is super great. I did say that I would report back on this crisp red barefoot that I'm drinking. Mm -hmm. The crisp is clearly referring to the um, to the carbonation, and I have to say, I don't know that it's good, but it is certainly drinkable. This is like you're right, Melissa. This is drunkening Kool Aid. <laughs> what? <laughs> just pop a couple of uh, ice cubes in a glass and just drink your soda pop. It's so good. It just goes right down. It's great. I like it so much. Wee! All right. So it is time to pause because we are clearly going over time with Nicolas Cage because we have Noel on and whenever we have Noel on, we have a double episode and we should just learn this. We were just going to do a single episode. No, that's not going to happen. So um, let's close it up for this week. Um, Wendy, do you have a recommendation for us? I do. Oh, I am so excited by this. I can't even tell you. Okay. Oh my God. There is a new musical on Broadway. It started off Broadway and it got huge buzz and then it moved on to Broadway and it's like you can't get a ticket. Like even if I had all the money in the world, I don't know that I would be able to arrange getting a ticket to see this show right now. But what you can do is you can listen to the goddamn soundtrack and it's amazing and it's Hamilton the musical. Oh, I, I cannot even handle how great this is. So I'd been listening to it probably for a couple of days. And then Nordling on, on Facebook was like, okay, since I can't watch Star Wars, I've been hearing a lot about this Hamilton musical. So I'll just listen to this like to take my mind off of how much I'm obsessing about Star Wars opening in a month. And then the very next post is like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And it's been sort of delightful to watch Nordling become obsessed with Hamilton the Musical and what he has said. And it is true is this is the best movie made this year and it's not even a movie. <laughs> it is so fucking good. The like just listening to it is so cinematic and so visual. The um, as an English, somebody who taught English, the themes, the imagery, the way it wraps around and keeps reintroducing ideas the, and the poetry of it. It is a hip hop musical. Hmm. It is colorblind casting. It's an incredibly diverse cast. So you have like black Americans playing Thomas Jefferson. Hmm. Right. Um, which means they and because it's about Hamilton, slavery does come up. So add that into the mix and it becomes very deep. And the guy who wrote it is so steeped, not not just in hip hop culture. His his fucking raps are amazing, but he is so steeped in um, musical culture that the riffs he plays on are so solid that you listen to this music and you just find yourself just 
clapping and doing like, oh my God, that was amazing. I played three songs for my husband and he, and just from those three songs, he's got it. It's an earworm in his head. He's like, I can't even handle how great this is. It is so smart. And I know I'm raving, but seriously, <laughs> just listen to the soundtrack. It's so good. And because it's a really solidly made soundtrack, just listening to it will give you the entire story. It will be an entire story arc and character arc. And it plays out to the end to where if you listen to it like an audio play, by the end, you're going to be devastated. It's just so fucking good. Just, I can't even. I've been I've been painting the living room in my house because avocado green. Melissa, you can vouch for that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, and so I just had it on loop today, and it's so great. Hamilton the Musical. If you happen to have iTunes radio, if you've paid for the radio application, you can listen to it for goddamn free. So do that. Awesome. Or just buy it. You want it. You do want it. Just buy it. You want it. So that's my recommendation. Okay. I know I gushed. I'm I'm not even apologizing. It's so good. What do you got, Melissa? I've got a movie that uh, was never finished. Mm. But you can find it here and there. You'll have to go searching for it. It's called uh, The Thief and the Cobbler, or sometimes it's called The Princess and the Cobbler. Um, it was made over many, many, many years by Richard Williams, who was uh, a an animator for Disney. Huh. The <clears throat> the movie was never finished, um, and what exists has been pieced together with some animatics to kind of fill in what the the remaining stuff is. But when you watch it, you suddenly understand where Disney's Aladdin came from, <laughs> because. The design of the big bad in this movie is basically the genie and Jafar kind of wrapped up all together in one. Um, but this this piece of animation is, first of all, it's gorgeous. And second of all, it's bizarre. Um, it's very surreal. It um, does some weird uh, things with perspective. Um, the, the, the story is just kind of bizarre and it's, it's kind of a little bit of a mis mishmash, but the animation is gorgeous. The stuff that they did finish, it, it is just glassy smooth because it's all like animated in ones. And it's, it, I mean, it has that really high quality Disney style animation, but it's got, this weird surrealism to it. Um, it's really hard to, to describe, but uh, if you go on YouTube, you'll at least find pieces of it. You'll probably find the whole thing. If you dig deep enough, um, really worth your time. It's gorgeous to look at. Huh? Yeah. You, you, you always pull out the most interesting things. <laughs> <laughs> now about thief and the cobbler, wasn't there a version that they did release at some point? Kind of like a bastardized yeah, the Weinsteins well, threw something together. Yeah, and um, that version does not have the missing mm. parts at all. Like the the version I saw had animatics piecing together the parts that were missing, and the Weinsteins one just kind of As throws everything together do. without. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so it's kind of confusing to watch. What the one you want to look for is kind of the unofficial version that has uh, whatever they could filled in by mm -hmm. the unfinished pieces. So yeah. So Noel, do you have something for us? I do. 
And Ooh. it is a film that I actually, I took a trip down to New Orleans uh, just a month or so ago and visited with some friends uh, for the debut screening of uh, my friend Jack Locke's uh, debut movie. Jack Locke is a, a local musician down there in New Orleans. He plays for a number of rock groups, produces a lot of albums, really, really fantastic musician. He he does the opening themes for a lot of the podcasts that I do. Oh. Uh, and Targeted, the film that I saw, is it's this fascinating thing where while digging through some stuff, he found a script for a Western that he wrote when he was seven years old. <laughs> and imagine something written by a seven-year-old. It's exactly that. And, you know, at the urging of some friends, he's like, hey, what if we just go film this? And he took it a step further of like, what if I take elements from that and try to do it as a straight, genuine, grown-up Western story, and then we'll film both at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> so it's available in an a script format which is the grown-up mature western story which is about 38 minutes long and then the seven-year-old b script story which is about 20 minutes long so altogether it's about an hour long and i really enjoyed it it was it was just really fascinating to see and full disclosure i have a tiny part in the movie as the voice of a drunkard in a jail cell, I, did, I broke up my Walter Brennan impersonation. Yes, <laughs> good old Walter Brennan. And <laughs> do it again, do it again. Oh, why I'm drunk here, boy? Leave me alone. <laughs> Let me go back to sleep, there, boy. <laughs> I, I am an avid fan of the old sitcom, The Real McCoys. I have heard Walter Brennan's voice many times. <laughs> <laughs> I even, he was one of the first impressions I ever did as a kid because I saw an old John Wayne movie where he's like, you was wrong, Bosh. You was wrong. <laughs> anyway, well, so yeah, targeted. Okay, it, it, okay. It, it, the, the 40 How minute can grown, we find it? Is it on YouTube? It, it is not on YouTube, but he has uh, digital copies available and DVDs available at jacklock.com. That's J-A-K-L-O-C-K-E.com. And nice. the the a script where it's the the greedy mature western and so it i'll i'll admit and i've told him this it's a little clumsy and it was done extremely on the cheap but there's so much heart and thought into it it's really clever and innovative at times it's got a great story the acting some of the acting is really great considering that it's just a bunch of local musicians most of whom had never acted before (laughs) and then the b script the written by a seven-year-old version is hysterical (laughs) because <laughs> he directed it like a zucker brothers thing of just play it straight play it straight yes and, and it's just so such great seven-year-old non sequiturs and just drifting off and <laughs> getting distracted <laughs> and he directed the hell out of it and i it, it was genuinely fun to be a part of and to see and even over that premiere weekend i saw the film three times in a row and i did not get bored with it i i i, I enjoyed it and that i enjoyed is... being a part of it and i highly recommend it that is just great. Love it. Love it. All right. So, hey, we're done with the first part. Yeah. Yes. So we should uh, wrap this up. And ta-ta for now, dear listeners. We'll be back next week with more Nicolas Cage. Unleashed out of the cage. <laughs> Somehow. A whole jail full of cages. <laughs> <laughs> I love that image. Okay. All right, we should, listeners. We should wrap it. This mm-hmm. has been Xanadu Cinema. <laughs> Oh, are we? Okay, we need to, are we need we to wrap it up. Round? We do. This has been Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. We will see you next week. I feel like Melissa did this earlier, but just in case, here's another one. I've been Wendy. That's been Melissa. And we've been joined by... No. 
And we will talk to you more about Nick Cage next week. I do think we did this before. It's like next. <laughs> God. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. God, that came out in August, and he had another film that came out in September called Pay the Ghost, where a professor frantically searches for his son who was abducted during a Halloween parade. At some point, I'm just going to assume you're making this shit up. <laughs> I'm not making a damn thing up. <laughs>